I also invite you this morning to pray with me. Gracious and loving God, we pray that you might open our ears that we might hear and quicken our feet that we might move and let the things that we do reflect the grace that we've been given as sons and daughters made in your image. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, we are at our last week of this series, the Authenticity Challenge, and I know some of us have uh, made our way through of it, through the challenges, other of us have skipped a few or two or all together, but that's okay. At least we can be honest about it and authentic about what we have and haven't done. I know that many of us, our uh, January is over in the new year, the new decade resolutions have um, still been going strong, right? All of them? Every single one? Um, Well, this morning, uh, the scripture reading that we have from this uh, last week of the Authenticity Challenge is kind of one of those, like, frightening (laughs) ones, right? Like, you build something up and God will, you know, reveal what's true with fire. And uh, we're actually, this is our last week of the sermon series, Authenticity Challenge, so we're moving on the next few weeks, and we're going to be talking about Psalms, and we're going to be moving uh, through the next three weeks for, before Lent starts um, for the three major uh, categories of the Psalms. We're going to talk more about that, but how does that shape our prayer life, and what does that mean for how we engage with the, the Scripture that is one of the largest sections of our Bible together? So I'm looking forward to it, and as I've been kind of preparing ahead of time, which I know it's not this Sunday that we're talking about it, but... Uh, it makes sense to the scripture a little bit. Um, I look back at one of my professors, my beloved Hebrew professor, and he used to always begin, and he taught me everything I knew probably about the Psalms, um, so I'm reading over my notes with him, but um, whenever we had test time, he would always uh, pray before the test because it was Christian school, um, and his prayer sounded really close to that. It was, it was like, God, that the hard work and energy put forward by all of these students would be revealed by the scores on their papers, right? And it was just all of a sudden, something about it, right? Sometimes I felt better about it going into it, and then other times I did not. But he said he would never pray for the A's, just that our scores would reflect our hard work. And so uh, beloved Gerald Wilson, he looked like Santa Claus, I loved him, but he um, reminded me of this scripture because I think that some of us, that's how we feel, right? This scripture that, you know, we're going to build something up and then God's going to test it with fire. And, you know, those of us who have built something of worth and of quality will make it through. And those of us who will haven't, I guess, will we're going to be like the, the ones who didn't prepare for that test um, getting ready, right? Um, but this week, we're talking about the why. The why we do what we do. And, and I think that this is really the week when that, this idea of what's going to make it through the fire is the things that we do, do we do them for the right reason, the why. I mean, there's lots of different people just Google why YouTube and TED Talks, and a lot of people are talking about the why behind what you do is very significant. And in the context of our sermon series about authenticity, we've gone over uh, who we are, beloved children of God, and we've talked about what we do and the rhythms we have, and do they reflect who we are. But I think also just as important is why do we do what we do? And I'm going to start with where we're going to end, which is, I don't think it's until why we do what we do matches who we truly are that we're able to live into the fullness that God has for us 
and we're able to reveal God's love and grace in the world. Because it's not until the why that we do what we do matches who we are that we're able to live authentically ourselves. And some of this is like way over our head, right? Like what what in the world is talking about this semantics? But let me give you a tangible example that I think will resonate with most people in the room as far as movie. I love movies, although I don't get to watch many. So rather than uh, talk about an animated movie, which are the only movies I watch these days, I'm going to go back a little bit to my childhood with Star Wars, right? I think many of us have seen the movie Star Wars, uh, the original. And um, what I mean by this is that, you know, Luke Skywalker begins on a journey, of identity, of figuring out who he is. And and I remember the scene, you know, when he ends up going, I forget the name of the planet, I'm not that big of a fan, but, uh, you know, that I know every detail, but he ends up going to be with Yoda, right, and the swamp planet, wherever that was. And and, and in there, he, he kind of is over and over again trying to be, right, trying to be who he's been all of a sudden trying to figure out who he was. He's been told he has this Jedi power, and so he's, he's trying to be the Jedi, and he's trying to force the, the force, if you will, to do the things that he wanted him to do. And, and it wasn't until this moment, right, in the swamp, that he kind of lets go of this sense that he needed to become a Jedi, that he actually starts to be able to use the force. It was kind of this, like, releasing of this kind of task that he was trying to do that allowed him to be who he was meant to be which is a Jedi. He had to release this idea. The things he had to do to become a Jedi was not try to be a Jedi. That didn't work. He had to become one with the Force. And no matter how hard he would have tried, if he would have tried the rest of the movie to make himself a Jedi, that would have been doing it for the wrong reasons, and he never would have gotten to where we wouldn't have had all the sequels afterwards, right? He had to let go. And there's all sorts of movies throughout Hollywood that kind of talk about this. My other example was, you know, the ones that I'm uh, living in, the animated movies, but I was thinking of Kung Fu Panda, right? Kung Fu Panda is a, is a funny movie. It's really, you know, just kind of this humorous Jack Black character, this panda, big goofy guy, and he, he's supposed to be the, like, the golden warrior or whatever uh, the title was. And he, he's trying to do this, although he's just so clumsy. And then, uh, spoiler, but in the end, he ends up just defeating the bad guy with his just goofy self that he was. And it wasn't until he kind of just owned who he was that the why he was doing what he was doing wasn't to impress someone, wasn't to be that thing that he thought he should be, but why he was doing it was just to do it. And then that's when everything started to come in place and he was able to embody that identity. And I'm sure you can think of all sorts of movies and all sorts of things that reveal this truth, that the why you do what you do helps reveal who you are truly. And, and Tuesdays at 10, uh, Bible study, which is a Bible study we have on Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m., um, although this week, if you're going, it's at 9.30, so not to confuse you, but at Tuesdays at 10, we were talking about uh, why do you go to church or why don't people go to church, and, and it was really interesting to me that one of the things that uh, someone said was, I, some people might hesitate to go to church because it's, what will the neighbors think of me, Right? Uh, which I hadn't thought about before, although I, I shared the sentiment. Um, but essentially, I asked him, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you know, if I go to church, then my neighbors are going to think that, you know, I'm better than them all of a sudden, 
right? That they, they think that I'm going to be judging them or going to be doing different things. And so, so people might not want to come to church because what will the neighbors think? Well, the neighbors think that now I'm this, you know, pious, judgmental person, right? And that's not necessarily why I, we were talking about, like, why do people hesitate to come to church? And I, I think that sometimes people hesitate to church, in my sense, is similar reasons, right? They think that if you come to church, you have to have your life together, right? So he said, what will my neighbors think? I also say people hesitate to church. I'm in the little ch- child world. And so hesitate to come to church because they don't want one more place that they have to like, control their kids, right? I have to show everyone how good of a parent they are. They just want to relax and be who they are. You know, they don't want a sense of people watching and people judging and people kind of looking at you. And it's gotten me kind of reflecting on what does it mean truly to be a Christian in the world, right? Because I think that sometimes we're afraid to be a Christian in the world because, you know, we don't want to come across as judgmental, right? And we also don't want people to think that we have everything right in life too, because if we are on the you know, pedestal and people are looking at us, then they might start to reveal our flaws. And so, you know, we kind of, the evangelism word in, in uh, mainline evangelical, or mainline churches is kind of the bad word. You know, we don't evangelize, we don't share the good news often. And I can resonate with you very much so, because, you know, I know nothing what it's like to all of a sudden tell people my vocation and then they treat me differently, right? Uh, and in fact, you know, I may, you know, sometimes we get put up as pastors on pedestals, but in fact, I, I have a similar tendency, especially when I first became a pastor and first started working in a church. I had this tendency that I didn't want to tell people what I did because all of a sudden, the minute I told them I was a pastor, I mean, you just all sorts of recoil in their body, like, emotions, right? It'd be like talking to them and then, you know, oh, you're a pastor, okay. <laughs> and it doesn't really matter the context that you're doing. You could be, you know, having a beer somewhere. You could be doing something else. It doesn't matter. The minute you tell them you're a pastor, all of a sudden, okay, posture changes and they're, you know, feel like they're on display. And, so, and that feeling, I just didn't like that feeling it gave people. And then also, I just didn't want people to, like, think I was judging them or any of that. And so I tried to go under the radar as much as possible and say, you know, where do you work? Oh, I work downtown. Oh, well, what do you do? Oh, I work at a nonprofit. Or, you know, how far can I go uh, down that road until they just give it up, right? And try to change the subject over and over again, you know? Uh, but I wanted to avoid it. And, and the, I was interrogating the why. I, I wanted to avoid it, I think, out of good intentions, Right? I think that we want to do the things that we do out of good intentions, the why. But why was I doing that was because I, I wanted them to see me as someone they can resonate with, just a normal person. You know, I wanted to be that person for them. And I knew that the minute I told them I was a pastor, all of a sudden everything would change. And I, I didn't want that. So I wanted to be someone else in those relationships. Or I didn't want them to think that I thought I was perfect or whatever it was. And then I remember I was, uh, the one place you can't hide as a pastor is at weddings, unfortunately. Because you're the one in front, I mean, especially if you lead the wedding, right? Because you're the one in front and they all look at you and you're talking, you're doing the whole ceremony. And so inevitably you end up at a dinner table and then, you know, everyone at the dinner table is at the dinner table with the pastor, right? You know, and they all know it's the pastor. And so I remember I was at this wedding, and this was still in my phase where I tried to hide my identity, although this one was a wedding where I didn't wear a robe and then switched into a suit, which helped me hide a little bit better. Uh, this one was just wearing a suit, 
And I went to the table in the suit, and I sat down with these young friends of the bride and groom, and they, it was, they all knew who I was, and you know, they were talking to me. And, and I tried to avoid the conversation as much as possible, but um, eventually it just kind of took its own course. And I remember I was uh, at the table, and all of a sudden, uh, they asked me the questions that pastors don't want to get asked, you know, like the controversial ones. And, um, and they started asking me a question about LGBT and all the different things that I thought about that. And, um, you know, for a time I was like, well, what do I say? What do I do? You know, how am I going to respond? And eventually I just said, you know, I believe that we're all made as children of God in God's image. And I believe that we're all welcome at the table, just, you know, right here. And... One of the girls in her 20s said, you're the first pastor that has ever said that. The first pastor that she's ever met that would welcome her to the table. And then all of a sudden I had this shift. Here I was trying to avoid being a pastor, right? Because I I wanted to fit in or do it. But then I realized that at that table, I had an opportunity to reframe a pastor for this people at the table. But I wasn't going to do it if I pretended to be the pastor that said all the right things and did all the right things and, you know, was kind of the perfect pastor in their mind. I was only able to do that as I was authentic for who I was and, and what I believed And the freedom I felt, but more importantly, the freedom that this, you know, just out of college girl felt and her friends at the table was, you know, the type of freedom that the Apostle Paul talks about, the newness in Christ. And I think that sometimes the why doesn't match who we are. And we miss these opportunities. And, you know, this is a pastor opportunity, right? But you are all Christians. We all have opportunities to reframe for people this idea that Christians are judgmental, pious, got your life together people. And trust me, if you don't think other people think this about Christians, I could do a survey by giving people $5 gift cards at Starbucks or Whole Foods down there, and I promise you I'll start to get those opinions just a little bit. We have those opportunities to reframe, but we won't get there if we pretend all the time. If the why that drives the things that we do is so that other people might see us better, or we might think of ourselves better, or whatever it is, they'll miss the beauty of you. They'll miss the beauty of that God made you as. And it's only until you just sort of let yourself be authentic about who you are and how God made you and your beliefs and that all of a sudden people could see that beauty in you. And by mean beauty, I don't mean you have your life together, right? None of us have our lives together. Because churches are not social clubs for the elite, Churches are hospitals for the sinners, for the broken and the meek, the the downtrodden, and the people looking for hope and energy to get through their weeks. That's, 
I mean, that's why I came to church. And so let's reveal to people the authentic selves and live out of that. And, you know, if we go into all the, the theology behind uh, Paul and what he wrote about, remember last week we talked about Apollos and, and Paul, and at first Paul's like, I don't really care who does the watering because God gives the growth. Well, this week we see a little bit of his core theology at work. Because Apollos was this teacher that was going around to all of Paul's churches, and Paul was an advocate, if you remember from when we did a series on Paul, for two main things. While you were weak, Christ came for you, and that nothing can separate you from that love. Nothing. And you don't have to become anything. Jew, a slave or free, male or female, we're all one in the body of Christ, he says over and over again. And, the apostle, and, the, and then Apollos would come through the communities and say, no, but that's not quite true. You got to do this and you got to do that. And ultimately, Paul did not have, want to have anything to do with that. Because you do not need to earn your place in the body of Christ. And that's why he said, the fire will test it. Because if you do what you do as a Christian to earn your place in the body of Christ, you know, all the facades, like my kids are great, everything's perfect, I got the best job ever, I'm living my Christian vocation, that's probably the first to go in the fire. And it's not until you're able to live out that authentic self, who God made you to be, that you'll build something of worth, that the world around you will see that worth. And they might have the courage then to live into it themselves. To reveal the beauty that God had made them to be because they saw you do it. And so in our small groups, when we ask, what's the most inviting thing you could do? When they invite someone, welcome someone, someone said, actually it's not someone, it's Paula, who she's, uh, we're going to celebrate the new life that they had, a new baby. But Paula said, she goes, I just share a, a flaw of mine <laughs> or share something that was hard for me. Share a weakness so that they might know if they came here with that weakness, they're welcome here. That they might be open to share who they are. Stop hiding behind those masks and let's start letting the beauty of our authentic selves so that why we do what we do comes from this goodness that God's made in us. The passions, the desires, the vocational callings we have. We might reveal God's love.